Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Didi and Josh and Rafe and our team for leading us in worship. And uh, good morning. Welcome. Uh, we are uh, so glad that you are here. If you are in person with us, I want to say welcome. If you're online, um, it is a blessing to get to worship with you. And especially want to welcome you if this is your first time here. And uh, we are, are just so blessed to get to worship with you this morning. Uh, we are in a sermon series named Calling. And it's all about discovering our purpose. We're in the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is this season uh, between what's called Ash Wednesday, which was a, a few weeks ago, and Easter, uh, which we're looking forward to on April 4th. And, um, and, and during this time of Lent, we use this as a time of preparation and prayer and meditation. And so uh, as we are in this season of Lent, we're going to use it to better discover our calling. And, and this week, as we focus on our purpose, as we focus on, on what God has called us to, um, this week we're going to talk about the importance of failure. The importance of failure. Um, this is a thing that I don't think it's talked about enough, especially when it comes to discovering our purpose, right? When it comes to discovering our purpose, we want it to all be success. We think that, you know, if I have my purpose, if I have my, my goal in mind, then, then, you know, if I just strive towards that, it's all success from here on out. And, and that's just not the case, that failure will come. And that really, you know, that really poses a problem to us, right? That we are afraid to fail. We are afraid to fail, you know, we don't like watch ESPN. We don't watch sports to watch our favorite team lose. You know, like we, we want them to win, you know, like, but, but, but we are afraid to fail. We don't celebrate failure enough and, and it's not celebrated enough. And so when it comes time for us to fail, we are afraid to fail. And, and, and our egos, like our, our vision of ourself almost becomes too big to fail. You know, like, like it almost becomes like this thing that, you know, our ego can't take a failure. And so even if we stumble a little bit, we have to rephrase it in our mind, right? We've got to rephrase it and make it something else. And, oh, that really wasn't my fault. You know, that was, that was somebody else. You know, it really wasn't me that did it. That was, that was somebody else. We, we are afraid to fail. And sometimes because of that, we're stuck in this like endless cycle of preparation. Anybody else like in that kind of phase, you know, their personality is more like, well, if I just continue to prepare and I never actually do it, then I won't really fail, you know? And, and so we get stuck in this cycle of just, you know, preparing and preparing and preparing, but never actually doing the thing that we're preparing for. Why? Because we are afraid to fail. And, he, and here's the truth about it. Here's the truth about failure, that failure is not an option. It's a certainty, right? Failure is not an option. It is a certainty. It's going to happen in your life. And so I think it's better for us to learn how to fail well, right? It's better for us to learn how to fail. And I think this is true. Let me be clear. I think this is true if you believe in God or if you don't. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching this morning and you don't know what you believe. I want to say that you're welcome here. We are so glad that you are here. And I think this lesson is important for all of us, for all of us as we learn about failure, um, this morning, uh, we are going to read out of the book of Exodus. Exodus is in the Old Testament. Um, and, and if you have your Bible, if you have it on your phone, however you engage with the Bible, I encourage you to do that. If you know, you're at home in the living room, if it's on a, on a bookshelf or somewhere, go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Before we get there, I want to do a little setup, right? So, so Exodus in chapter 3, um, we, we find the character of Moses, right? We find the character of Moses, and, and Moses has, um, is a Hebrew um, who was raised in Egypt. 
He was raised actually in Pharaoh's household. Um, they were, at the time, there was um, this process where they were actually killing uh, Hebrew children. And Moses was saved um, by his mother who placed him in the river so that Pharaoh's daughter would find him. Uh, she picks him out of the river and raises him as her own. So, so Moses grows up in this Egyptian royal household as a Hebrew and sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And so Moses kills the Egyptian slave master. And, and now Moses panics and he runs out into the wilderness. And he runs out into the wilderness and he finds himself there in a place called Midian, where he is a shepherd, where he is a shepherd. And, and when he is a shepherd, he's, he's um, watching the flock and he finds this bush that is burning, but he says it's not being consumed. And from the bush, he hears the voice of God. And he hears the voice of God call to him. And, and this is what God says. And again, it's in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 10. I encourage you to read along with me. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You know, I went to seminary, so I can say all those. But um, the, the cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in which God calls Moses and tells Moses, I will send you. But here's the thing about Moses. Moses is a failure. And not only that, but, but at this time when God calls Moses, Moses is 80 years old. He has spent 40 years in, in Pharaoh's household, right? So, so at the age of 40, he becomes a murderer, at the age of 40, he becomes a murderer, and then he runs away out into the desert. And he finds himself in Midian as a shepherd. Shepherd was the job for the people who weren't smart enough to find a better job. Right? This was not the, the, the high and lofty job. This was, this was not the expert job. This was just like, you know, you can't find anything else to do, and so you're a shepherd. And he does this for another 40 years. And God calls Moses at 80. And, and everything that Moses does that we know Moses for, if you grew up in the church, if you, if you, if you know any stories in the Bible, you know Moses is a pretty big deal. Moses goes to Egypt and he liberates the Hebrews out of slavery. He does these signs, these miracles with, with Aaron. He, he does all of these magnificent things. He leads the people through the wilderness. All of this after he is 80 years old. Here's the thing about failure, that failure looks different when you plan on peaking after 80, right? <laughs> Just imagine that. Just think of it like your goal right now, your goal is to peak after 80. And if you do that, all your failure looks different. All of this is, is preparation for when you peak. And imagine that, like if you peaked, you know, if you peaked when you were younger, like what do you have to live for? You know, like, what's, what's going on in your life? Like, failure looks different when you plan on peaking after 80. 
that when God chose Moses, when God chose Moses, he wasn't looking for the most successful person. He wasn't looking for the person who has had a track record of, of, of just exponential growth over the, you know, the past however many quarters. God chose Moses because he was willing and he was humble. God chooses the humble, friends, over the successful. There are many times in our life where, you know, we want just the success part of life. We just, we just want the success. But that's not what, what God promises. Rick Warren says that there are three kinds of living. There's survival, just getting by. I, I gotta get food in my belly so that I can live. The second kind of living is success. I gotta die with more money in the bank account than anybody else. And the third kind of living is significance. God does not promise success. God does promise significance. Despite your failures, despite your shortcomings, that through all of it, we have an option to live a significant life in Jesus Christ. This is hard to do though, right? It's hard to celebrate our failures. And, and I wanna share a bit of my story with you and, and this is a story of failure in my own life. And my hope, my prayer is that we would learn to celebrate our failure and to learn and grow from it. Um, when, uh, when I first got started in ministry, I was uh, serving a church as an associate pastor in, um, in Oklahoma City. Uh, some of you know I'm, I'm originally from Oklahoma. Uh, don't worry, I got here as fast as I could. Um, but uh, so, um, but um, actually, Melissa and I were both on staff at this church in Oklahoma City. I think I have a picture of us from that Easter uh, here. This is, uh, this is what we call Beardless Andy. And, um, and, and this was a church that I served. Um, my wife, Melissa, um, was a director of Christian education there at, the, at Nichols Hills yeah, Methodist Church. And I was associate pastor, and, um, and, and this was a great church to serve, and it was a really loving church for me to go through seminary uh, while I was there and, and continue to learn and study. And, and while I was in seminary there, um, I was in a class on uh, United Methodist History, and it was during this class that the professor actually invited a church planter to come in and speak. A church planter is somebody who, who starts churches, somebody who, um, you know, we say plants a church and, and, and grows it. And, and this was really the first time that I had heard of somebody, you know, kind of planting a church and how they did it and, and how other people could do it. And, and as this person was talking, I felt God's call on my life. This was probably like the, the closest experience I've had to my heart strangely warmed. I felt like, like this is something that I think God is calling to me. It, it excited me. You know, it, it got me energized again for ministry. And so immediately after that class, I, uh, I called my wife, Melissa, and I said, you know, there's this thing, this church planting. I heard this pastor, and, and, and will you pray about that with me? I think this is something I might be called to do, that we might be called to do together. And, and so we continued to pray about that. And I continued to, to kind of work in the conference and, and talk to people and meet people and talk to them about church planting. 
And there was this thing that started to happen. I believe with, with all that I am that God has called me to plant churches, that God has called me to help start new things and new ministries to reach new people. What I also realized during that time is that I got a lot of attention when I talked about church planting. And, and if you don't know anything about me, I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I, I, I really enjoy being around people. And when I'm not emotionally healthy, I can think that my survival depends upon the approval of others. And so the more I talked about church planting, the more attention I got. And, and, and this started to create this kind of shadow side of my personality. And I believed that God was calling me to it, and, and I continued to talk to people about it. And so um, after I graduated seminary, um, I, I was appointed to another church just north of Oklahoma City, a church called Acts 2 United Methodist Church. Um, and we have a, a, a picture of it here as well. This was a, a great church to be a part of. Um, Melissa and I ended up being on staff of this church together as well. Um, this was when we moved into our new sanctuary there. We had the privilege of, of being a part of that transition. Um, this was a young church, so it was about 20 years old. The founding pastor um, was still there, and I served as an associate pastor there. And I continued to work and continued to develop um, these plans to plant a new church. And as we were discerning this call, I said, well, maybe we could start a new church within a church. We could start a new community here at Acts 2. And, and so that's what we started to work on. And we started to do, and, and again, this, this shadow side of my personality continued to take hold. And the more I talked about it, the more attention I got. And, and so we worked on, on launching this new community. Uh, we called it One Church. And, and, and we started working on launching this new community. But there was this thing that happened that, that I worked more on getting attention than I did on actually launching a church. And so it came time to, to launch, and, and I'll be honest, we, we didn't have quite yet enough people to actually launch, and so what we did is we grabbed all those people from that, from that first picture you saw when we moved in, we grabbed all of them, we said, hey, will you come help us launch this new community? And they said yes, and so we had the big grand launch day. We have a picture of it here, one church. It, it was a great launch. It was really fun. In January 22nd, 2017, we, we launched in a cafeteria. In a cafeteria that, that sat about 300 people and we fit all those people in there and we were doing the thing and it was so exciting. There was all this momentum and we had a great time. But then the next Sunday came and we continued to try to bring in new people and, and some people came and there were some good things happening. But, you know, it wasn't quite like that launch day. Uh, you know, our, our next couple of Sundays, they, they looked a little bit like this. You know, now this doesn't look bad, right? It's a very like strategic picture though, right? Because remember, that place seats 300 people. So whenever you're worshiping, you know, with like, you know, uh, 80 people in a room that seats 300, you know, well, anyways, you weren't, they weren't spread out as much as you guys are, but you get the picture, and so we launched in January. From January to May, we had about 80 to 100 people was our average. And then the summer hit. And with the summer came the, the average worship attendance that the summer normally brings. And so I looked for a picture of what our summers kind of looked like when we were worshiping in this cafeteria. And, and to be honest, I couldn't find any pictures. Because I didn't want to admit to myself what was happening. And so all of my pictures look like this of, uh, of our summer there in the cafeteria. 
pictures of people paid to be there. And we averaged about 30 people through the summer. And this was difficult for me because I had spent so much time asking people to look at me, just look at me, just look at me. And now all those same people were watching me fail. One of the best decisions I made uh, was to go to counseling during this time and to seek a, a, the advice and the, the counsel of a licensed professional counselor. And I learned about this shadow side of my extroversion, that, that being an extrovert is a good thing, but if we depend upon other people for approval, then, then, then we've really not lived into who we are called to be by God. And so we made a shift. You know, we, we pivoted. Uh, we moved off of Sunday morning to Friday nights. Uh, we worshipped on Friday night. and We didn't worship in the cafeteria. We worshipped in the original sanctuary of Acts 2. We called it the chapel. It was a smaller venue and it, and it fit us better. And, and good things started to happen. Good things happened. People were brought to faith. We baptized families. We did good things. Our, our worship attendance increased when we moved to Friday nights. We were back at the um, 80 to 100 people worshipping on Friday night. And it was a blast. It was so much fun. We had all these kids. Worship would be going on and kids would be rolling up and down the aisles. I mean, it was, it was, it was so much fun. But it took us learning from our mistakes. And it took me learning from my failure. You know, I, I liken it to, um, to playing golf, to learning to play golf. My, my dad, before he passed, was, was an avid golfer. He, he loved it. And he was always trying to get me to play. And, uh, and, and I, you know, wasn't too great at it. And, and in fact, I had a really bad slice. You know, I'd hit the ball and it would just almost like take a right turn in the air and it would go into like the next fairway. And, and, uh, and so my dad would, you know, drag me out to the golf course and, and, uh, and I would stay on the tee box and I would hit a ball and it would, you know, just veer right. You, you know it, you know, like golfers, they just know it. Like as soon as it hits, you know, you know that it was a bad shot. And so I would hit it and it'd be a bad shot and it would veer right and I'd turn away and I'd go, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe I did that. And my dad would say, no, you have to watch the ball. You have to watch the ball. If you turn away from every shot you don't like, you'll never know where to hit your next shot from. And that's what we have to do with our failures. We have to pay attention. We have to learn and change and continually grow even through our failures. This is what we learned that many times we learn more through our failures than through success. Many times we learn more through when we've stumbled, more through when we've made mistakes than if we just succeeded. My hope, my prayer is that we can openly admit to our failures and that we can learn from them. And so here's a couple of things I want to encourage you to do this week. I, I would encourage you to do it this evening that you would take some time to write down your fears. Take some time to write down your fears. And, and I'm a big fan of, of handwriting things. I think that's like kind of a cathartic experience. And, and I think if we had a process where we actually wrote down the things we are afraid of, you know, and, and make it a long list. I mean, just keep going. And, and what we realize is maybe that some of the first things would be more like surface level things, you know, but then as we got deeper and deeper into it, we would delve deeper into our soul, actually write down our fears. And once we write those things down, maybe they will be less scary to us to write down our fears. 
And then the second thing I want to encourage you to do is this, that, that instead of staying in that perpetual state of preparation, after you've written down your fears, I hope that you will consider the cost of non-action. That, that there is a price to pay if you fail, but my guess is that there is a larger price to pay if you don't do anything. The last thing I want to share with you is, is this. It, it, it's uh, from a speech by, by President Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, he shared this in uh, Paris, France, on April 23rd of 1910. Roosevelt said this, It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold, timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Let us pray. God, we are afraid. God, many times we want to make ourselves better than we are. We, we project this false sense of ourself to others and, and even to our own selves. God, we, we want to be better, but we can't live up to our own expectations. God, we are afraid to fail. We are afraid to stumble. And God, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit right now. God, that you would be with us wherever we are. If we are here in person, whether we're online, whether we're washing dishes, God, if we're in the living room wrangling kids, whatever it is, God, I, I pray that your Spirit would visit us in this moment. Give us courage to look back honestly to admit our failure and to move forward in grace and peace 